believe the best way to eat a mango is to take the whole mango with the skin intact and roll it onto a table. It just becomes mushy on the inside. And then you know where the top bit is, where it's hanging from the tree? You rip that off and then you can drink the mango juice from there. It's just pure mango juice. The best way to eat a mango is, in my opinion, whole. I just like washing my hand and having like a whole mango in my hand uh, because I'm crazy. And I like to eat it that way, like an animal. Can you imagine living a life where you don't appreciate mangoes? Hey everyone, I'm Amadil Yakbar, and this is See Something Say Something's second episode of our food miniseries, Mangoes, Meat, and Memories. As you've probably gathered, this is our mango episode, and we'll be covering how deeply the fruit resonates across cultures and the lengths to which people will go to get the best mango. Like, how much did the Pakistanis of New Jersey pay for mangoes from just through you? It was close to $3,000, actually. $3,000. In case you weren't aware, mangoes are said to have originated in the Indian subcontinent. Some people say India has the best mango variety, the Alfonso, but that's obviously up for debate. Pakistani mangoes are the best. But also, mangoes have spread across the world. It means so much to people across so many different cultures. So here's what you're going to hear this episode. You're going to continue to hear from listeners and friends of the show, and we're going to talk to my cousin, who spent her summer buying thousands of dollars of mangoes from a guy off of WhatsApp, and Miles Karp, who's done a lot of research on why it's hard to find the best mangoes in the U.S. But first, you're going to hear from me. Before we get into the interviews, I want to talk about how much mangoes mean to me. My late mother was a huge fruit fan. We'd sit around the table, she'd slice them up, and we'd share them, swipe them through masala, and just, like, talk shop. But the thing that she always missed from her home in Pakistan was mango season. And for most of our life in Michigan, we didn't have access to mangoes. So in the late 90s, early 2000s, when mangoes started showing up at supermarkets, she was so excited. And she had this criteria for what a good mango was that I didn't understand because my first time eating them was American mangoes. I thought they were all amazing. I didn't even really like fruit that much, but I loved mangoes and how much passion my mother had for them and how much we shared a like feeling of palpable electricity when my mom would bring mangoes home. And no matter what, though, she'd always be like, there's nothing like a Pakistani mango. And for most of my life, I never had a Pakistani mango. And I didn't know why. I'd say, why couldn't we get Pakistani mangoes? And she'd say, you know, beta, it's like very, very difficult to get them. I didn't really understand. My first time having a Pakistani mango was actually after she passed away. And we were in London. I had no idea what a mango variety was, that there were different breeds of mangoes, what I had been eating. But my family was very clear that the two best Pakistani mangoes are Chansa and Anvaradol. And they had brought both of them to the U.K., So we sat around in, like, the dark night, uh, you know, lights completely off with these buckets of iced mangoes, and we cut them and we ate them, and I started to understand why my mother missed Pakistani mangoes. The flavor was just so intense, so sweet, so floral. And soon after, I started to look into why it was so hard to find Pakistani mangoes in the U.S. It turns out both Pakistani and Indian mangoes were banned at some portion of U.S. history. Apparently, they're not banned now but it's still extremely hard to get them for a lot of reasons. So I would actually have family that would go to Canada when they heard of a mango shipment and bring them over the border, 
even though border agents, if they found those mangoes, would have confiscated them. <laughs> so it was like sort of like this black market mango deal. And then when people would find out that Pakistani mangoes had made it to our house or to our community, everyone would freak out. Please give me one. I need to have one. It's like gold, basically, for our community. Still, over the last 10 years, I have rarely eaten a Pakistani mango. I've still not gone to Pakistan during the summer or during mango season, which is a goal for me. One day I'll get to go. Please pray for me. Um, But this year, I was lucky enough that my cousin got embroiled in this wild WhatsApp mango economy. I don't even know how to describe it, where she was shuttling mangoes like back and forth through Jersey, through airports, coordinating around the country even to get these Pakistani mangoes to people around the U.S. And I had a bunch this year. And we're going to talk to her about that process later. But it really just goes to show me how much mangoes mean to Pakistanis and to immigrant communities around the world. I'm joined by Miles Karp. He's a freelance journalist whose work can be found at Vice, NPR, and The New York Times. He's been researching mangoes and other exotic fruits for years uh, and told us he actually currently lives in Costa Rica because of the fruits there. Hey, Miles. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How are the mangoes in Costa Rica right now? Are there mangoes in Costa Rica? There are plenty of mangoes in Costa Rica. It's, uh, I would say that the mangoes in Costa Rica are better than the ones in the United States and not as good as the ones in Asia. Because the mangoes that are grown here are the same that you would get in the grocery store Hmm. in the United States, but they can be picked riper here. They don't have to go through the shipping process. They don't have to be boiled for pest control. So they're, they're better versions of mediocre mangoes. Right. Um, very bold words to call them mediocre. You know, I actually want to know something interesting, Miles. I am Pakistani American, but I never visited Pakistan during mango season. So I never had like, quote unquote, Asian mangoes. And I grew up on Mexican mangoes, like Latin American mangoes in the Midwest. Um, and actually kind of have a soft spot. They have a soft spot in my heart. Um, and I don't, totally agree with all the hate. But this year, I've been eating more um, Pakistani mangoes. And after this, like, crazy shipment that's been coming from my cousins, and I sort of, I realize what the hype is about, but I still have, like, I still care for those mangoes. So, oh, yeah. And and I, I want to make clear that I think that any mango is better than no mango. Very true. Very true. But, but if great mangoes exist, we might as well try to acquire those rather than just uh, accept the ones that are grown for convenience. Right. Right. When I started to get obsessed with fruit, I was living in England and I got some funding to do a fruit tasting at my grad school. And so they sent me off to London with like more, actually more money than I had asked for. So I went to Harrods (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Fan, fancy department Which is fancy, store, in right? Like really, really fancy. Extremely fancy, and I didn't know they had fruit, but like you know, the fruit of Harrods is like the clothes of Harrods, and that it would be like the most expensive, finest version of whatever you could find. And they had an Alfonso mango there. They told me it was the best mango in the world. It was flown in from India, and so I bought one and I ate it at the fruit tasting, and it was just like unbelievable I just fireworks didn't. in your mouth right like yeah like... i just didn't i just didn't know that a mango could be like that because i knew that mangoes were good but i had been eating mediocre mangoes yeah my whole life which 
most people in the United States also have been. Mediocre relative to mangoes. Right. You know, like a mango is, is as I said, better than no mango. But then I tried an Alfonso mango. And, and I should say that I tried another Alfonso mango not so long after that. And it was just super overripe, mm. mushy, past its prime. And that just demonstrates the fragility of these things. Like, it's not easy to ship fruit around the world. And so we can't necessarily just expect that we can get the best versions of everything. It's really difficult logistically. Right. It's really difficult politically sometimes. And so, um, like, I think we should be striving to get better fruit, but it's going to be a process. We're going to have to be willing to pay a little bit more for them and right. maybe even accept some bad ones in order to encounter yeah. a really good one. So a few things here. One is that, uh, first of all, the question of what's the best mango, it's a very political question, Miles. <laughs> you can talk to a Pakistani and they'll fight you that the Jansa or the Anvaratol is the best mango in the world. And the yeah, Alfanda, yeah. yeah. And, and the Thai will have something different to say too. Right. Right. So, but Alfonso definitely has like a huge rep because India is like the biggest uh, mango exporter in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's just what the person at Harrods told me. <laughs> so, you know, I have to stand up for my Jossa mangoes. But the other thing is, too, it's funny. It's like I had the this Jossa, um, which is like kind of juicy and it looked completely this one that I saw God in. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not even exaggeration. Like that's how I felt. I was like, my brain should not be allowed to have to have these flavors at once happening in my mouth from one thing that grew on a tree. But uh, it basically like looked completely rotten, and it was still pretty amazing. Uh-huh. Um, so let's get some context here. Why is it so? Besides this this distance factor that you've already basically enumerated for us, that it's like really hard to ship fruit over long distances. Why is it so hard to get Indian and Pakistani mangoes in the United States? Well, the political history is only going to be relevant for India here. I, I do not know the political sure. history of import-export for Pakistani mangoes. But uh, beyond distance, which is fundamental to the difficulty of getting these mangoes, there is a really interesting political history of Indian mango importation. And that's that since the 80s, or from the 80s until the mid-2000s, Indian mangoes were prohibited in the United States. You could not import them... Right. Ostensibly because of phytosanitary concerns, a pest. But really, a lot of the people involved and a lot of the people who were lobbying to change this prohibition think that it was more of a political thing than it was an actual phytosanitary thing. Like, there really aren't mango crops in the United States that would have been threatened by whatever that pest was. And actually, since India is the world's biggest producer of mangoes, and since their mangoes are so good, a lot of people who worked on this have suggested to me that the Latin American mango lobby was trying to maintain the status quo of Indian mangoes and just generally Asian mangoes not getting to American consumers because then they would realize that they're better than the ones that they've been, been eating their whole lives. And so there was one... One guy who really spearheaded this whole campaign to overturn the ban, and he's a dentist. His name is Bhaskar Savani. He's a dentist in Pennsylvania, and he comes from Gujarat. He was born and raised in Gujarat in India, which is home to the Kesar mango, which is another really celebrated variety. And he told me that 
one time his dad came to visit him when he was in dental school with mangoes in hand and he got stopped at the border the the people at the border told him he could not bring the mangoes in um he just basically ate as many of the mangoes <laughs> as he could while he was sitting in jfk airport right. in customs and you know his son the 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 dental school student was waiting outside, like wondering what happened to his dad. Did he get lost somewhere? Did he get detained? Um, and so he started thinking about why is this ban in place? He was researching it, realized that maybe it was more political than phytosanitary, got all these other people on board, like the U.S. India Business Council. And the way that they actually maneuvered was like a really interesting game of political fruit-related chess. Uh, in that they knew that India and the United States were having diplomatic talks at the time over uh, India's nuclear facilities, which they wanted to, they basically like had this U.S.-India civil nuclear deal. They wanted to get uh, India's nuclear facilities like to be used for civil purposes, um, not military purposes. And during these talks, they made sure that mangoes were brought into the discussions. So George Bush, when he went to go visit Manmohan Singh, who was um, the prime minister of India at the time, was actually given an Alfonso mango during one of these talks. This is a very classic South Asian diplomatic tactic. I know Pakistanis have done this, like, cross to India as well to give mangoes because uh, it's, like, very much a symbol, I think, of South Asian culture for people. Yeah, and it worked. Like they impressed George Bush. Apparently, he said it's a hell of a fruit. <laughs> and then, Classic and then the mangoes George were Bush. just like they were just on the table. So you know, the nuclear stuff came first. But then, while they were talking, they were talking about mangoes too. And they realized that while these guys were trying to get Indian mangoes into the United States, Harley Davidson was having a hard time getting their motorcycles into India. So those had been prohibited for, like, emission reasons. And so ultimately, what ended up happening is that India allowed Harley-Davidson motorcycles in, and then the United States agreed to allow, to allow Indian mangoes in. So huh. maybe, like, the Harley-Davidson is, is, is as American as the mango <laughs> is Indian. Indian. And so in 2006, the first shipment of Indian mangoes arrived to a lot of fanfare in new york there was all this talk about how they were going to take over the market they were going to be so prominent in restaurants because they were so good but you know 12 years later we still just still don't see so them very much them. i have so hard to get and you know what's fascinating uh miles about this is that the networks at which these operate in order to get them are so separate that, like, I have eaten quite a few Pakistani mangoes, but I have never eaten an Indian mango, and I don't know if I ever will. Um, and it's so funny, like, the parallels, too. Like, I know that part of the reason why mangoes are so hard to find for Pakistanis, which you've also written about, is the problem with irradiating them, that they need to be irradiated um, before they'll be allowed. And the, just that, like, a lot of the facilities and the setups aren't there also for Pakistani mangoes. So while the specific political history, like, I, I, I don't know as well, there's a lot of parallels to what you're talking about with the Indian uh, mangoes. And I, what's so funny to me about this story that you've just told about this guy, this dentist, it's like, this is every mango enthusiast I know. It's like an uncle who like 
goes to Toronto and like gets a box of, uh, you know, like several boxes of Pakistani mangoes and tries to bring it over every season and like gets caught half the time. But the other half, like, you know, comes to fanfare that like, you know, the community has mangoes and like every Pakistani in the community sort of like, you know, tries to get a bite of it. Um, so it's like interesting how these like networks, underground networks of mango um, shipments and, and mango um, smuggling, frankly, <laughs> you know, exists um, and that there's also parallels on both sides of these countries that are, you know, sort of have a conflict and like mangoes show also how similar they are despite all that. Like this is like everything you're describing is so similar to what um, my experience of Pakistani mangoes were. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that there's that these countries are so far away is just so fundamental to why it's difficult to right. get them. But also the fact that they're far away and they're difficult to get them which means that they're not common also means that people aren't thinking about these. Like there just isn't enough demand yet. There's a lot of demand from the Indian American and Pakistani American communities. But if, if, you know, if the wider consumer base of mangoes in the United States is not demanding better, and if they're not like learning that there are better mangoes, then there's no reason why they would pay so much more for a mango coming from Asia, you know, a box of mangoes that may or may not have some overripe ones just because, you know, they had to travel so far. Right. You talk about like using a website called Mangoes with two Zs um, and Fresh Direct to order these mangoes. But that even that seems like shady like i saw that and i clicked on that link and i was like should i order these to try these indian mangoes but it's just like unclear to me in what condition they're going to arrive or if to e- how do i even know that they're actually indian mangoes you know it's like yeah. very confusing they're selling them on ebay and amazon too and you're right like ebay does, and amazon that's yeah it, it does seem pretty shady and and most of these amazon listings have pretty poor ratings too mm. because well they're just so expensive the price is very wildly for these things and i imagine that the the amazon listings are like a la carte you order one box and then they have to fly that box like individually there's no economy of scale so when you order from fresh direct for example they're coming from actually dr savani himself the dentist no still that dentist he's he's the one doing it on fresh direct that is amazing yeah so he's a dentist but he also does manage this this importation operation he's a dentist and an importer so he has more economy of scale because his operation is a little bit bigger. And this mangoes with two Z with two Zs uh, is also bigger. So they can get the price down. So it's not like $150 for a box of a dozen. It's, it's more like, like on Fresh Direct, I think you pay, you end up paying around $3 for a Kesser mango. That's and... like a pricey avocado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a really expensive mango, but it's not that expensive for a delicious thing. Like right. a slice of a slice of cake would be right. a, around around that much. Right. And it's traveled and very I, far. It's traveled very far and there are a lot there's so many logistical hurdles. But even these importers which are, you know, reputable, they they really know what they're doing. They have some economy of scale. They're going to get some mangoes that are overripe and and I have been sent a lot of these mangoes. I would say fewer than half are in good condition, but that half or or fewer is just so good that I I, I will accept having 
to, well, I wouldn't even throw away the ones that are overripe. I would just make a smoothie out of them. Yes, that is the move. That is actually but the it, move. But it's, it's, it's worth it, I would say. And, and this, will, this will improve. Our ability to get these mangoes from far away to our supermarkets more quickly will improve. Once there's more demand, once there's more demand, we can create better shipping infrastructure, more economy of scale. I mean, right now, there's so many bottlenecks, like the irradiation thing you mentioned. Yes, these mangoes do have to be irradiated uh, for pest control before they get shipped to the United States. But there are so few irradiation facilities that there's like so many mangoes just sitting waiting to be irradiated that it takes longer than it needs to. Oh my God. And they're had mangoes and, should never and, go to waste. No. And, so and, and, and USDA personnel have to be involved. Like, I don't think this is the case anymore, but Dr. Savani was telling me that he was actually responsible for paying for transportation and lodging for the USDA personnel while they, f- they oversaw the irradiation. And, you know, that costs more than the mangoes. But if we demand better as consumers, I think that we'll be able to get these mangoes cheaper. We'll be able to get them easier. We'll be able to get them with fewer duds in the box. And it's so worth it. So worth it. Um, So you are obviously now in Latin America. And, you know, I have experienced some of the Latin American like food cultures around um, mangoes, like the mango with the chili powder and lime that you get cut into flowers, Coney Island mm-hmm. Ave. That's like mm-hmm. so, so, so delicious in a really like fresh way of eating mangoes. Um, what are the sort of the food color cultures like um, there? And for you, like, what is the thing that people are missing most about mangoes in the U.S.? Here in Costa Rica, we eat a lot of green mangoes, so like underripe intentionally. And we ceviche them, basically. Oh, my God. So take a, take a green mango, slice it up thin, put lime on it, salt. And then generally there's, uh, there's like a, the sauce of Costa Rica, salsa lisana, which is basically like Worcester sauce. Um, Ooh, so and salty. so it is, it's, yeah, like a salty, savory mango dish. And also I think like just generally being in a place where where fruit is grown we're more aware of seasonal crops or we're just generally more aware of seasonal eating like in the united states people are used to getting pretty much any fruit they want any time of year they want because you know if it's out of season in one place they're probably growing another variety in another place to fill the gap in the market during the months when the other variety is out of season but that doesn't necessarily mean you're getting the best it just means you're getting like whatever can grow during those months right and here you know living around fruit production people know when it's mango season people know when it's rambutan season and and then people are more likely to be eating like things that are actually in season and better at the time uh so I feel like it's like a really funny intersection where, you know, the desire to like eat local is intersecting with also this desire to eat the best. And there's a challenge here. It like might be kind of insurmountable. Um, and I'm like going to be thinking about this conversation a lot. Um, Miles, you do a lot of food writing. Where can people find you in your work? I write for various publications. I do a lot of writing for Munchies, which is the food vertical of Vice. I've written for the New York Times. I've 
done some TV work. Where can people find me? I guess just uh, Google me. <laughs> Great. Uh, thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the rest of Mango Season if they're still I growing. Have, I have one more thing that I want to say, which, you know, I don't know if it fits anywhere, but I just want to say that I have been eating mangoes with the peel on and it has, it has eliminated the, the barrier of just, you know, I look at a mango, I want to eat the mango, but sometimes I just don't feel like cutting up a mango because yeah. it's, it's yeah. a hassle. You're not and the first I, person who's told me that. Our producer, I, I think, also does it that way. She's pump, pumping yeah. her hands right now. I know that some people actually experience irritation from mango peel, and I don't want to be responsible if some people do. But a lot of people who, who, who can handle mango peel, I think you should start trying to just eat it like an apple. I think it adds some textural variety and, and, and bitterness that balances out the sweetness and makes it a more complete, complex, gustatory experience. Oh, gustatory. What a good word. All right. I'm going to have to try that. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Miles. I'm going to go eat a fully fleshed mango now without a knife. All right. All right. Have fun. Good luck. So coming up next, you're going to hear about my cousin's wild mango WhatsApp adventure. But first, a quick break. My name is Shiza and I'm from England. My name is Vida. I'm from New Jersey. My name is Lam Tuevo. I was born in Germany. My parents are both Vietnamese, and I moved to the U.S. when I was 15. My name is Emily Hernandez. I'm from California, but my family is from Jalisco, Mexico. Hi, my name is Afsana Ahmed, and I'm from Queens, New York. Growing up, like, every single summer, as soon as it was mango season, my father would always buy crates and crates of mangoes from Patel Brothers in Jackson Heights. And, yeah, we eat mangoes, like, every day in the summer. As an immigrant, mangoes were among the fruit, like dragon fruit or uh, mangosteen and stuff like that, that were closely affiliated with who my family was within the closed doors of our house. Mangoes remind me of walking down to the swap meet on a Saturday morning with my abuelito. And mango reminds me of my first date with my first girlfriend. Mango reminds me of my first time going to the mosque and of having iftar with my friends. It is really undoubtedly sweet and tender to have someone you love cut a really delicious fruit for you. So my cousin Madiha, she has a white collar job, which makes it all the more hilarious that she became the middle person in this kind of very intricate web of mango deliveries along the East Coast. Basically, she did it through this guy that she talked to on WhatsApp. I also got wrapped up in this little mango thingy where I actually did a mango pickup. I was given a number and a location, which was extremely shady. It was by the airport. I expected like some like shady Pakistani like something, but it was just like two white ladies like sitting at an airport. And I was like, can I, my name is Amma Duckford. They're like, here are your mangoes. And I asked them, you know, does this happen a lot? Do a lot of people pick up mangoes from here? And they said, yeah, it happens more often than you'd think. And I took those mangoes, put them in the car, and delivered them to my family who wanted them and my mother-in-law and brought a lot of joy to people. So to give more context on how all of that works, here's my cousin Madiha. So, Madiha, describe your role in this mango importing business. Like, what exactly did you do this summer with mangoes? (laughs) Yeah, sure. So I saw my cousin on Facebook posted a picture of these delicious mangoes. 
uh, my mom reached out to her almost right away and asked her where she got these mangoes from. And it was a guy from whom many of my cousins have ordered in the past. Uh, so I contacted him because my mom wanted some right away. And I think his minimum order was eight or 12 cases. Uh, and they were, what, like 32 plus a case. Um, so I told my mom it's not happening. Nobody's going to spend $32 a case on mangoes. So just let it go and eat them next time you're in Canada or Pakistan. But she kind of insisted, had me reach out to my friends and cousins anyway. And right off the bat, I think I got an order of 56 cases to go pick up. So, you know, it, apparently there was a huge market that I was unaware of because I was of the camp that nobody should pay this much for mangoes until I ate one and then I totally uh, caved. Yeah, they're literally 10 times more flavorful. One of them, I ate one of yeah, them and I, I was like, I ate one of them and I was like, I think I saw God in this mango. Yeah. <laughs> I literally it's, felt that way. I haven't eaten peaches in America since I came back from, you know, other countries eating them there. Hmm. They're just not as juicy. They're not as sweet. So what I want to know is how much money as like the middle woman in this mango business um, was exchanged. Like how much did the people of New Jersey, the Pakistanis of New Jersey, pay for mangoes from just through you? It was close to $3,000, actually. Um, $3,000? $3,400. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. The first order, I want to say it was 56 or 58 cases. And the second order was 72 cases. Um, there was a third order that got canceled because of logistics in Pakistan and then the mango season ended. So $3,400, it's pretty nuts. You know, once people said they wanted it, then they kind of told their friends and they told their friends and it was kind of madness at my house. I had like section, a section in my house just dedicated to mangoes. <laughs> and I sat there with a black Sharpie and a pair of scissors and, you know, labeled each crate for each person. And I think in the span of like a day or two, people were just in and out of the house all day picking up mangoes. So when you go to pick up this mangoes, like I'm imagining like a guy in a van, you know, like who just like opens up the door <laughs> and there's just like a, crates and crates of mangoes. How exactly does this work where you're picking it up directly from so, the airport? So he actually ships it to any airport where Southwest flies into. Uh, and then Southwest has, you know, cargo areas in each airport. So it's actually right outside of the airport. It's called in Philly. It's called Cargo City. Hmm. Um, so just imagine a bunch of big, I guess, huge lockers, uh, you could call it. And so you just kind of go to the desk and say, you know, this is the airway bill number. This is my name. You show ID. And then they bring out the crates of mangoes. And, you know, we just load them into our car then. And are you fronting like... $1,000 a week for these people to pay to him via PayPal or something? Yeah. So people were just either giving me cash, Venmo, PayPal. It was kind of all over the place. There was money coming in and out everywhere, but I tracked it like a total nerd on my Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> Do you charge a delivery fee? Are you making any money off of this? I, I didn't. <laughs> and that was probably my bad. I don't think I realized how much work it was. Um, so after the first order, it was July 4th, actually. So it was my day off. And I spent the whole entire day distributing mangoes and having people, you know, come to the house to pick them up. The next one, um, my friend actually went ahead and told people, um, I think a dollar extra per case. And she said, this is the price you're going to keep that to make up for, you know, your toll and your time spent going to the airport, picking them up and and spending all day delivering them or having them picked up. Yeah, definitely probably a money loss proposition for you because of all the driving. Probably, it's started as like a good faith, like, you know what, let's have some people try some Pakistani mangoes. And I even had coworkers 
um, you know, here at work that, that tried some. And one of my coworkers was like, it took me back to my childhood in Jamaica when I was sitting there eating mangoes there. So some of the mangoes, when they arrived, like what condition were they in? So our first batch, we were really, really lucky. They were all perfect. Um, some of them were underripe, so it was good because it gave us a few days to enjoy them. The second batch that came, unfortunately, almost all of them were rotten. And I mean, our dealer was very good with it. He did reimburse us for for the inconvenience because it was 72 cases uh, of mangoes. But the second batch came, a lot of them were spoiled. You could tell that being treated in the hot water, some of them had just really, really softened and gone bad from the inside. Some were edible, some were not. It's kind of a gamble when you're ordering fruit from another country, because by the time you get it, you're, it's at minimum six, seven days since it's left the other country right. until you get it. It's so tragic. They traveled all that way and through all that struggle, and then they're not even edible. It just I made... know it was it was really sad. I had a very a lot of very upset uh, friends. <laughs> um, I just want to know, like, how would you describe the flavor of a chasa and an unverotol mango? The chasa is, I guess, probably what you would be used to from your typical. Even if you had like a Mexican mango here, the you know mid-size, uh, more firm mango. Where the unveritol are the much smaller ones. Um, they're a much darker orange color. And they're the kinds that you, like a lot of people in Pakistan will like cut the top off and kind of suck the juice out of. So they're much more juicy. Mm. And they're a lot, the consistency is a little bit mushier, which I'm not a fan of. I like the firmer mangoes. I think for people who have had mangoes only in America, when, you know, as soon as you smelled the crate of mangoes, like our whole house smelled like mangoes for three days. Mm. I think for them, it was the oh, wow, I did not know fruit could be this sweet, right? I brought it into work. My manager had it and he was like, where is this from? I need this in my life <laughs> because they, the, all they know is the mangoes that they buy at their local grocery stores here. Oh, yeah. So the last thing I wanted to ask you is, um, have you ever had an Indian mango? I have not, actually. My coworker here told me that in North Jersey, they, there is a grocery store that sells Indian mangoes. So I'm still waiting for him to bring one to me. Do you think Pakistani mangoes are better or Indian mangoes? I will plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> Very diplomatic. Okay. Thank you so much, Madiha. It's like, I don't know. I've just been having a blast watching you shuttle these mangoes through WhatsApp. Listen, my parents think I'm absolutely insane. And my dad is like, do people realize you have a real job and you don't have time to be shipping mangoes to everyone? You're doing a real service. You're a mango activist. Exactly, exactly. I'm giving people what they what they want. Thank you so much, Madiha. I'll talk to you later. Bye. I'm very excited for next year's mango season. Hopefully I'll get to try an Indian mango for the first time. And I encourage you all to try to get your hands on them. Um, remember, next week we have our final episode of the Mangoes, Meat, and Memories series, which is going to be about memories and preserving the cuisine of enslaved people. I'd also like to give a shout out to all of our listeners who submitted to our montage. They were a real joy to listen to. And also, I cut the montage. That was kind of cool. I'm a producer now sometimes. Woo! <laughs> this episode was produced by Megan Dietrich, Agarina Shishagre, Julia Furlan, and me. Additional production support from the Pod Squad. Our music is by the Caminas. You can find them at caminas.bandcamp.com. Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at radbrowndads. Email us at say something at buzzfeed.com. You all send us a lot of really great emails, and I wanted to actually share one that we got this past week about our mental health episode. 
the listener said that she really found it to be an excellent, compassionate, well-handled discussion of something that was difficult, but also wanted to give us a caveat and a little clarification on something we talked about. She said, the recommendation that people meditate as part of a mental health regime should come with the caveats. Specifically, for people with pre-existing depression or anxiety, the recommendation is for guided meditation with an experienced coach and not to meditate if experiencing thoughts of suicide or self-harm. In these cases, meditation can lead people into deeper despair and are cycles of depressive rumination. So I really appreciate that clarity. You know, we're not experts, and I think it was, like, really useful to read that. And uh, I encourage you all also to... Do your own research when you're listening to things on here and email us. If you have clarifications, we'd love to share them. You can find my writing at BuzzFeed.com and leave us a review on iTunes so more people can find us. Stay tuned for the last episode of Mango's Weed Memory next week. I'm Amadeli Yuckbert. Thanks for listening.